My name is Dave Hollenbach, the host of From Embers to Excellence. My goal is to explore the many facets of leadership from the perspectives of some amazing people. In addition to leadership, I like to discuss mental health, PTSD, and overcoming adversity. If you have a favorite episode, I would love to hear about it. Message me through social media or my website, and I will share some free tools to help you achieve your goals. Please like, subscribe, and leave a review. If you haven't purchased your copy of my book, Fireproof, please grab a copy today. Thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Don Mann. Some of you may know him from his his show, Surviving Man, or his other show, Surviving Man All-Stars, or any number of his New York Times bestselling books. Um, but Don Mann is a retired Navy SEAL chief warrant officer, an accomplished adventure racer, a motivational speaker, and a man who cares about making the world a better place for children and wounded veterans. Uh, you know, I had the the good fortune of meeting Don a couple of years ago where uh, he came on the show. We had a great conversation and we've stayed in touch ever since. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm extremely grateful. And, and, you know, just thank you so much, Don, for agreeing to come on again. And uh, are you still using the same website, uh, the usfrogman.com? I am, David. And I am using that same website, and it's a pleasure to be back on the show with you. It's it's good to be here with you. Yes, sir. Well, I I would like to dive in to you know really talk about your your TV show. You're going on. You're getting ready to record the third season of Surviving Man and uh, the third season of Surviving Man All Stars has already recorded. Correct. Yep, we've had um, five shows recorded so far, and we're just getting ready to go to Tampa. Most likely, it's going to be the next location for Surviving Man Season 3. Oh, do you need any contestants? I'm like an hour away. <laughs> oh, you got to come. You got to come. You can, you can record right from the show. Yeah, that'd be great. We'd love to have you, David. We'd love to have you. Yeah, that'd be awesome. It'll be, I... in, the, it'll be in the February, March time frame. All right. I will definitely be there. Oh, that'd be great to have you there. Yeah. What was the catalyst for your show? How, how did it come about? So a friend of mine who's a producer and the director of the show, his name is Bob Seafell. And um, he, I've worked for him for a number of years, just doing product endorsements and different um, talks I did for his organizations. And he used to say, Don, we got to put out, together a tv show where you teach people to shoot and survival and evasion resistance obstacle course physical fitness seal training and adventure racing all of the stuff you've done why don't you put together let you let let me have you be the host of a tv show and so i said sure bob i didn't think that would ever happen <laughs> so uh a couple of years went by and then he found some sponsors. He said, Don, it's going to happen this year. And then he wanted to call it Surviving Man. And um, But what he wanted, he wanted me to train all these really fit, fast, good shots, these competitors. And then he wanted me to go one-on-one -on -one against these people. 
I said, Bob, that show will be very short because I'll get creamed. These guys in their 20s and 30s and 40s, I'm in my 60s. Even in my my height, you know, in my peak, you know, I would have a hard time beating some of these people who are competing to get on Surviving Man. So what we did, I changed I changed the narrative. I changed it so the first season they flew in. I met five to 600 people applied for the first show. And, and I flew into Vegas to meet the 32 that were chosen. And I told them, I said, this isn't the survival uh, reality TV show you thought you might be showing up for. This here, that was just to get some hardcore Americans here on the ground. That was a cover story. The real story is we're putting together a selection course because we have some hardcore Americans standing in front of me right now, all of you, and we know you fit. We know you can shoot. We know you have the right mindset. And now we got to put together a selection course because we have a mission at the end of the week and we have to go get this guy who's going to be assassinated. They're going to kill him at the end of the week. And he was a good guy. He's to give us information. He's to give the military intelligence, central intelligence agency, U.S. government, some good information. And he doesn't do that anymore. Now that the bad guys have got him and now he's starting to give information to them and we got to get him out before he's killed. And so we trained hard. We trained underground. We trained with long guns, shotguns, pistols, uh, survival, evasion, resistance, escape techniques. Uh, we trained him really hard with PT, SEAL type PT. So it was a combination of survival training, SEAL training, adventure racing, and obstacle course racing all together in one week. And it was very difficult. And then they had a mission at the end of the week. And season one, the mission was a, a complete success. They got the guy out and um, they got him to the authorities and it was a success. Season two, something similar happened. And season two is just being broadcast now. So every season's a little bit different, but I, I love doing it, David. You know, I love doing it because um, I always loved pushing myself and pushing other people. I was a SEAL team training officer at two SEAL teams. And I just love it when you have a group of hardcore motivated people you're working with and they want to be pushed. And um, that's the case with Surviving Man. And the producers and directors, they say, Don, we're not going to tell you what to do. Do what you think is right. And we're just going to film it. So although it is considered reality TV, there aren't any retakes or, hey, what should we do next? It's I'm training people as if though I was at a SEAL team training people. And, and, it, and I don't even consider it a TV show. I really consider it as training for a mission. And I think that rubs off because the contestants, the competitors feel they're there for a mission. So I don't let it that it's a television show. Um, you know, affect what we're doing for training and training for mission. So I love that part of it. Uh, you, you mentioned SEAL type training. And how is that different from, you know, training for these super races that you, that you've done in in the past? There, you know, thanks for asking me that, you know, nobody's really ever asked me that. And um, I, but although I thought about it quite a bit and the, the big races that I used to do, the 500 and 600 mile nonstop races, 
where I've really pushed myself to bleeding, passing out, hallucinating, bonking. Um, I love that because I was giving it my all. Nothing was left at home. Nothing was left on the table. If you push yourself to the point of hallucinating or passing out, you've given it your all. And that's how I like to train people. Um, and SEAL training, it's the toughest military training in the world, but I've never known anybody to push themselves to that point. You know, you've got a group of guys, you know, it starts off with a hundred or so people and you end up with about 20. So it gets smaller and smaller and smaller, the classes, but you're, you're pushing hard. You're pushing these guys hard. And I've hallucinated in hell week before a little bit, but, um, there's, there's a lot of things harder than military training and you can find them. You don't really, a lot of people I talk to, you know, I feel bad for them because they wanted to be a SEAL or a Marine or Delta Force or something and something happened or they quit, which is worse. And then they wouldn't, they couldn't stay with the program. And I tell them, I try to give them an uplifting talk by saying, it's not everything in the world. There's other ways you can push yourself. And um, for instance, go climb a mountain, go climb Mount Everest. That's pushing yourself. You know, there's other ways you can push yourself. I loved it, pushing myself in the SEAL teams because, you know, I'm patriotic and I love our country. Um, but you can push yourself other ways that don't have anything to do with the military. And, um, and so, so there's many, many avenues to push yourself physically and mentally and emotionally. You don't really need BUDS or SEAL training to do that or some instructor telling you what to do but in surviving man i try to give them a lot of leeway so i give them the mission i lead the pts in the morning which are the hardest pts i've ever seen ever anywhere and they they do these things i mean they're doing planks for 15 minutes then i have them lift up an arm or a leg so they're on three limbs for another five minutes and they're facing each other in a circle and they plank until they drop we do that every day Every morning, that's what starts off our day. And um, it's really, really, some of the PTs we do are tougher PTs than anywhere I've ever seen anywhere in the world. And uh, these people in Surviving Man are doing them. And uh, women, women are, some of the women are uh, super, super good. And some are beating the men like nine out of 10 times. And um, so it's, it's nice to see. I just like seeing the human being the human mind the combat mindset the human spirit that flame and people come out and just you they see how much they can draw from themselves and um and that helps in every aspect of your life in my opinion you know if you could push so hard you could push yourself for a whole week and surviving man or you go through buds training or seal training or ranger training and you could push yourself for months and months and months when you finish that part of your life, you have that burning, burning uh, candle in you that's, it's, it, it, it's ignited and it, it'll fuel you for anything else you want to do. Because what I think, David, I think a lot of people, I noticed this when I got out of the teams, we're around motivated people, hardcore motivated people. And that was great. But when I got out, I saw that a lot of people, they set the goals low. They set these low-reaching goals. They meet those goals, and they're satisfied, which it's everything I'm against, in my own opinion. You know, why not set your goals really, really high, macro goals, high, far-reaching goals, 
have that mindset, that combat mindset. I can do anything in this world as long as I put my mind to it. Have the, the macro goals up there and then a series of micro goals to reach that macro goal. Like for instance, if you want to do a hundred mile run, let's just say you want to do a marathon, say a marathon, that's a macro goal. Micro goal, okay, I'm going to learn to run. I'm going to run a minute, walk a minute, run a minute, walk a minute. Great, now I'm going to run five minutes straight on a treadmill. Now I'm going to go out and I'm going to run a 5K, all little micro goals. Before you know it, you're doing a 10K. Next thing you're going to do, you're going to do a 10 mile it. Now you're going to do a 20 mile it. Now the big race day comes up and you're going to run a marathon. You're going to run it nonstop because that's your goal and you put your mind to it and you're not going to quit till you've accomplished that goal. You're focused on mission success. You accomplish that goal of finishing a marathon and the next macro goal is bigger, farther, longer, or faster. And you take that macro goal you had with the marathon, bring it down to the micro goal level because now the next macro goal, that might be the 100K run. Well, anyways, I really think it all boils down to just two things. Having a strong combat mindset and setting macro goals that are far-reaching. Don't set low-setting goals that are easy to reach and going home and be happy with yourself. You'll never, ever accomplish all you can accomplish in a lifetime if you're satisfied with accomplishing low-set goals. So it's my belief you should set your goals high, really, really high, and have a series of micro-goals as steps to reach that macro goal. As an example, if you want to run a marathon, if you're a runner and you want to run a marathon for some reason, okay, the macro goal is the marathon. So now you've got to figure out how to run 26.2 miles. You may never have run a run a marathon or a 5K or any run in your life, but now you want to run a marathon, which was my case. I decided to run a marathon before I was a marathon before I was a runner. All I had to do is a set of micro goals. I had to learn to run, okay, run a couple miles. Run on the stair stepper machine, run on the treadmill, run, walk, run, walk. Now go do a 5K. Once you get that 5K done, good, big accomplishment. Now go for the 10K. Beautiful, you got the 10K done. Now you've got a 10 miler to do. All micro goals. Now you're gonna do a half marathon, you're gonna do a 20 miler, and before you know it, that marathon's in reach, you promise yourself you're not going to walk. You're going to run the whole marathon. Boom. Sunday comes, you run the marathon, and you've accomplished a huge goal. But now the secret is, is take that macro goal of the marathon, bring it down to the micro goal level, because now that's just a small goal to reach the bigger goal that you've set, which might be a 100K run or a 50K run or, or two marathons. And it works. It really, really works. Anything that I've accomplished in my life, anything in my opinion is significant, it all had to do with having a strong mindset, knowing I can do it, and then making it logical, setting a high, far-reaching goal, lots of micro goals to get up there. For instance, when I first did my first Ironman, my second Ironman, I should say, um, I did it in under 12 hours, and I wanted to beat the champion's time. His time was 11 hours and 44 minutes. And I passed him on the run. I couldn't believe I passed the champion. And I finished that Ironman in 11 hours and 41 minutes. That was my macro goal. I had two macro goals. And that was to do the Ironman without stopping and to beat the champion's time of 11 hours 
and 44 minutes. I'm sorry. He did 11 hours and 44 minutes. So Michael was to not stop to finish this Ironman and to beat his time. And I did it somehow, <laughs> but I did it in 11 hours and 41 minutes. That was the macro goal. My next macro goal now was that I brought that Ironman down to a micro goal level. And I figured if I could do one Ironman in less than 12 hours, I should be able to do two Ironmans in a day. So I brought the next macro goal, two Ironmans in a day. And then I went on to 600 mile races. And everything, every time you put up to the macro goal level, it's harder, it's more physically challenging, and it's tougher. And it doesn't, I'm talking sports, it doesn't only have to be sports. This could be done with banking, you could be a piano player, but set small goals. But the point is to reach that big, big goal. And definitely don't set little goals, reach them and be happy with yourself and think that's all there is. Because we all have the capacity, the potential to, to peak and do something great in our lives. And I think it's a real tragedy for people if they never reach it because they don't try. And why not try? It hurts. It hurts. Welcome the pain. You know, just welcome the pain. Anything worth doing is going to hurt a little bit, but it's temporary pain. It's way better than that permanent pain and regret that you get if you quit something or you don't try something or you don't give it your all and don't succeed. That permanent pain of regret lasts a lifetime. The temporary pain, the little bit of discipline you have to have, go through a little bit of pain to accomplish a short-term goal. At some point, that pain's over, and then you're satisfied and you're happy with the success of your accomplishment. So welcome the pain. Anything worth doing is going to hurt. Just let it hurt. So what? It hurts. I've let things hurt to the point of blacking out, passing out, bunking, or hallucinating, or, or coughing up blood. I would never, ever, ever suggest anybody do that because I caused a lot of damage to myself over the years thinking like that. But now, David, I think you have a line. It's an imaginary line. If you go over that line, that's when things start breaking down. You start bonking, bleeding, passing out, hallucinating, and all that. But now, I don't believe in going over that line anymore. I would never suggest anybody to go over that line. I used to for decades, but not anymore. Now I say, just go up to the line, touch it, and back off. You've given it your all. You're not going to hurt yourself physically. You're not going to hurt your family life. You're not going to hurt your relationship with your wife or your husband or your family. You're not going to give too much to whatever you're given to and something else is going to suffer. You just go up and touch the line and back off. Then come back and touch it again and back off. And um, and I think I think that's a lot, lot smarter way to, to succeeding and reaching those far-reaching macro goals that people can set for themselves. So do you believe that had you done things that way when you were younger, you would have achieved everything that you've achieved? Um, yes. I, I would say if I thought like this when I was younger, I would have achieved a lot more in life than I ended up achieving. I Either I went over the line. Or, I, I do appreciate the fact that I was able to push myself over the line because that made my mindset stronger. It really did. Um, 
and it and it helped me train other people to the point of getting stronger. But I really didn't have to go over the line where I would, you know, be on the side of a mountain near death because I couldn't move and I couldn't see and I was, had hypothermia because I gave it my all. I, I caused quite a bit of body damage over the years by thinking like that. So I think I probably would have accomplished more if I did two things. If I thought like this when I was younger and I didn't go over the line, or if I did, I just came right back. But when I was a younger guy, I always felt if I didn't go over the line, I wasn't giving it my all. If I didn't push my teammates or the SEALs to go over that line, they, they weren't giving it their all. That was a little bit too much. Um, I, I haven't hurt other people really, but I have hurt myself. And um, I think to answer your question, if I was younger, a smarter way to do it, if I would have, I wish I had that mindset 10 years younger in my life. You know, I retired as a chief warrant officer. Maybe now if I thought like that earlier on in life, I'd be a retired admiral right now. You know, I did adventure races, but maybe I would have been a world champion if I thought like this earlier on in life. So I didn't, and I wish I had, but I really feel that's the answer to success. Far-reaching goals and a mindset that can get stronger each and every day, that we all have the ability to make our mindset stronger each and every day. Through visualization and through having that I'll never quit attitude. I'm going to be focused solidly on that mission. Mission success is all I'm going after. And I'm going to give it my all. I'm a human being. I know I have a lot in me. I just have to tap deep inside. A lot of people don't do that, but I can. I can tap deep, deep inside. I welcome the pain. It's going to hurt a little bit, but it's okay because I'm going to reach that far-reaching goal I set. Then, as soon as I do, that comes down to a micro goal. And now the next macro goal is even more challenging and more fulfilling to uh, accomplish it. You you did some damage to yourself on Mount Everest, correct? I did. I did. But I have to say that with a little caveat. I didn't do anything wrong on Mount Everest. I, I, it wasn't like I was pushing myself beyond where I should be pushing myself on Mount Everest. I mean, I was hydrating, I was doing everything right. And then what I got up there on Everest was high altitude pulmonary edema and cerebral edema, which attacks climbers. You never know who it's gonna hit, how old they are, how physically fit they are, or where they are on the mountain when it happens. People don't know why ape and haste occurs, high altitude pulmonary or cerebral edema. But I got them both bad. You know, I was, um, my lungs filled with fluid. I was drowning in my own lungs and my brain. I lost my color vision. I lost my memory. It got dark. It really didn't get dark, but my, everything got dark in my mind. Um, the fluid in my brain was just squeezing my brain. And I was climbing the ladders in the ice fall, which is the most dangerous place on Everest. And I put my head down and just fluid was coming out of my mouth and my nose. And I, I didn't know why. And then I was climbing these ladders on these vertical ice walls. And then I didn't know where I was. And I, I forgot why I was there. I lost my memory. And then it got dark on the ladders. And when I got to the top, I collapsed. And I was very fortunate to have Andre Dorje Sherpa on our team. He was the, uh, he's the most famous Sherpa in the world. He saved more lives, lives on Everest than anybody has. And anybody who's seen the movie 
um, Everest or um, any of those movies, he's the hero of it. He's, he's Mr. Everest. He's been on Everest more than anybody. He's saved more lives, but he happened to be on my team. And when I collapsed at the top, drowning in my fluids, not being able to breathe, he gave me his oxygen mask and we made it back down to base camp and he saved my life. But I didn't do anything wrong. You know, it just hit me hard. And I didn't even have the ability to think, no, I'm going to keep going. If I had kept going, I would have died for sure. Uh, the doctors told me I was lucky to come off that mountain alive as it was. And they said, if you don't get off the mountain now, and if you don't, if you go any higher or stay any longer, you're not going to make it throughout the night. And I was lucky I did make it throughout the night because uh, a storm came through and I couldn't get a helicopter ride out. So I was very, very fortunate. And I'm not fully recovered yet either. And that was over five years ago. But, um, you know, I've, David, I have no regrets because that's one of those things you can regret for a lifetime. I could have said all my life, I want to climb Everest. Someday I'm going to climb Everest. And then before you know it, the doors are going to shut. The window's going to shut. You lost that opportunity. And then the rest of your life, you have to say, well, I was going to do this. I should have done that. I would have done that. But I did do it, and I didn't give up. My, my body gave up on me. And um, I have no regrets. I, I, that that a memory is, and that experience is something I'll cherish for the rest of my life. I can't go back up to, the, you know, over 20,000 feet anymore because once you get the hate and hate, you know, you can get it again. So, but I've been, you know, I still go to the 14ers in Colorado, the 14,000 footers. And, you know, it hurts a little bit, but... Um, I like to hike up fairly fast and run down and just do it with friends. And, you know, sometimes I take business people up there and things like that. But those 14 is out in Colorado. It's a good experience. And I like to go out to Mount Washington in New Hampshire, because although it's only a 5,000 foot mountain, you get the real mountaineering experience and you don't get the altitude problems up there. Huh. And that's in New Hampshire. You know, it's so funny. It's Mount Washington, New Hampshire. It's the worst weather in the world. Well, right now, I think it's considered the second worst weather in the world. They've clocked winds up there, 231 miles an hour. And you could be down below getting ready for your hike up top, and you're in shorts and a T-shirt and everything. And then you get halfway up, and you see people all outfitted in you know, winter clothes and ice and snow all over them. It's the worst weather. I've done a lot of training up there because of the weather is so bad. And, um, you know, it's just you see all the other mountain ranges and you see these black clouds just come and they, they just form right over Mount Washington. And then there's a terrible every time you go there, it's like a terrible snowstorm or ice storm and everything else around it. It's not bad. It's got its own weather system, but it's the worst weather in the world. It's considered from Mount Washington, New Hampshire. Wow. So I, I love training there and I grew up outside of there. And so when I was growing up, that, that was kind of normal to be in those conditions. And I just, I, I just have developed a, a real love for the elements, you know, the cold, the hot, the, the snow, the ice, the sun, jungles, mountains, rivers. I just love the elements and the outdoors. And um, I think it was probably because of growing up outside of Mount Washington. Yeah, I, I brought up uh, Mount Everest because in my mind, that is one of the most challenging things anybody could ever do in their life. 
my two questions for you are what is the most difficult the most difficult thing that you've ever done it could be maybe it was a, a difficult time in your life that you overcame or whatever i i don't know i just what stands out in your mind as being one of the toughest challenges you've ever overcome and then right now what is your macro goal well you know i'm going to be personal on this the hardest thing i ever overcame i have a daughter who got really really sick once and she was a little tiny baby and i was living in panama and they told me that she might die, but we have to put this long needle up her spine. And if she dies, that's the way it is. And uh, this little infant baby of mine, my firstborn, she's laying there. And, um, and um, you know, she, it was a terrible, terrible day. And then later on in life, my stepson, he was shot and killed um, by some drug dealers. And uh, so those, and then my, my mother, she you know, I had, she had a terrible, terrible death. So those three things were like the worst thing in my life. You know, when f close people to you die or or they're suffering. I mean, there's nothing worse for me than that. As a matter of fact, a really good SEAL buddy of mine just died. His funeral's tomorrow. I'll go to his funeral tomorrow. Um, I see a lot of my SEAL buddies. Um, I keep a list of them all. And that list is so long now, you know, um, that those are the worst things for me. But I've been very fortunate, you know, I've uh, climbing Mount Everest, it's recreation. It's, um, you know, going to climb these tall mountains, these high mountains are doing a 500 or 600 mile race. We're doing two Ironmans in a day. I choose to do it and I, I find enjoyment for from it and it's recreation. So I can't complain that it's hard to go to a SEAL training. That was, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a SEAL and I love the exercise when I was being, you know, um, pushed by the buds trainee to trainers and, uh, you know, being yelled at and screamed at that's, that's what I like. So it, it wasn't bad. None of that was bad for me. The bad thing is for me, the parts that really make me hurt is when innocent people suffer or die or get injured. And um, that that's the worst for me. Now, when it's family, it brings it much closer to home. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, what's going on with the hostages over right now in Israel, that's really got me bothered. Those are the things that really bother me. But if I decide to go do some 100-mile race, yeah, I'm going to be in pain. I welcome that pain. It's going to hurt. It's temporary. It's temporary pain. I'm going to get over it. But it's not like it's something that I I chose to do it. And these people, the team guys now, a lot of them are suffering, you know. A good friend of mine, we, we went to SEAL Team 1 together. He was one of the top guys at Team 1. He went right to 6 right afterwards. I followed him to six and he was one of the best operators at team one. And then he became one of the best operators at team six. I always looked up to him. I still do. And, um, you know, we had an easy career, I believe, you know, our career field was late seventies to early nineties. And, um, and, and we had it easy, really. I, I'm sorry, late nineties. 
we, we really didn't have it hard. It didn't really get difficult in the teams. It was difficult in Vietnam, and then it got difficult in Afghanistan, Iraq wars. So the times between that, it wasn't that difficult, really. And um, But my buddies, I have so, so many buddies now who went through those, what I call the easy years. I mean, they're really suffering right now. I have two friends, top, top, top-notch operators in that time era who are living in cars because they can't be around people. When they go to the doctors, they stand against the wall so bullets don't come through the windows, sniper rounds, or the door doesn't breached in and they get hit with the breach. Um, so a lot of people are suffering. A lot of it's micro concussions, you know, the mini concussions. And it seems to get worse and worse and worse over the years for these guys. And um, I was with them. I served, you know, my, all my adult years with these guys. And um, that, that, is painful for me to see because some guys got through it okay and some are having a hard, hard time. I can't tell you how many of them committed suicide. And um, so that to me, that's real. And that's not just going to go climb some mountain and do some, you know, five or 100 or 600 mile race that where you do bleed, pass out or hallucinate because you're pushing yourself that hard because you want to and it does develop a stronger mindset that you know you can break over that line. It makes you stronger in that sense. And, and I, love, I love that. But what I don't, what I really, really bothers me is just um, other people suffering, you know, uh, family members and fellow SEALs. As far as your, do you have any macro goals right now or have you achieved everything that you've set your set out to achieve no i have not achieved everything i set out to achieve what i'm trying to do right now actually since i got this pulmonary edema and a little bit of scar tissue in my lungs um my breathing's not the same as it used to be but what i'm trying to do i had a bicycle built and it was built by a tour de france stage winner who actually beat lance armstrong on a stage once and uh and he built the bicycle for me with a 90 tooth chain ring. And if I could pedal that bike 100 RPMs with that 90 tooth chain ring on flat land, I should be able to hit 60 miles an hour. So one of my goals that I'm working at, and boy, it's taken me a long time to get there. I'm at 54 miles an hour now, and you're still seeing the white spots. You're giving it your all, and you can only push that chain ring for so long before you give out. So I'm trying to go 60 miles an hour on flat land on my bicycle. And then there's uh, 54 14,000 foot mountains out in Colorado, which I mentioned earlier. And I like to run these and uh, run down them, hike up them and run down. And I've done 26 of them. So I want to do the rest of them. So those are my two physical goals right now. And um, so I, I have it broken down, physical goals. I have family goals. You know, I've got granddaughters now. And what I want to do with my granddaughters, I want to teach them to dive and take them up some mountains. And um, I have family goals and I have writing goals, too. And basically, my writing goals are to help other people get into the writing business. Not so much my writing anymore. And I've written 22 books. And, I'm, I'm, you know, now I just want to help other people with their books. And I'm doing that for, for two or three people right now. And um, I still work for the government. I do government contract. I teach tactical combat casualty care, combat medicine. 
and I take government troops out on adventures and I take them mountain climbing or hiking or survival training. And um, then the TV show, Surviving Man, I'm enjoying that. But you know, David, what, I, what I'm also really looking forward to, this is my, my top of my macro goal list. When I'm with anybody, or if I get these phone calls, how do I become a SEAL or a Ranger or a Delta Force guy or something? It's taken me years to figure out how to simplify my answer. And now I finally have it simplified. It worked for my nine-year-old grandson a couple of weeks ago because I did this with him and it worked. I said, all you have to do is four things. Pick some goal you want. Pick a profession or career. Maybe you want to be on a football team or something, but pick something. Now I'm going to use the example of being a SEAL. If somebody said, how do you be a SEAL? I said, all you have to do is four things, four things. Number one, every day get stronger. Find something to make you stronger. Don't expect someone to give you a workout deal on a silver platter and for you to follow it. You find a way. Go to CrossFit. You figure out. But every day, record it. Make sure you can measure it and make yourself stronger. Number one. Number two, make yourself faster. If you can do 120 sit-ups in two minutes, do 125 in two minutes. If you're doing uh, fart licks, running, hill sprints, hill work, you know, uh, laps in the pool, whatever you do, punching bag, get faster each and every day. That's number two. Number three, if you do want to become a SEAL, learn these 90 plus countries SEALs are operating in now. Learn what they're doing in these countries. Learn the weapons they're shooting. Take weapons courses. Learn to skydive. Go take a skydiving course. Go diving. Learn. Get your scuba qualification. Um, learn to dive. Shoot. Learn what the SEALs are doing. Learn the SEAL ethos. See what SEALs are really all about. A lot of people go to BUDS just to see if they can make it through BUDS, but they don't realize they're there. They're being trained to be a killer. I mean, they are the, the military is not spending a million dollars on you so you can go wear this big gold pin called the Navy SEAL Trident just so you can walk around proudly with your chest out showing you're a SEAL. You're trained with all those skills to go protect our country and defeat our enemy. You're, you're trained to be a killer. So you have to understand all that. So you have to get smarter, stronger, faster, and smarter. But most importantly, most importantly, each and every day, do something good for somebody. And that might be your mother, your father, your neighbor, your husband, your wife, somebody you don't know. But just do something good for somebody. Because before you know it, if you did all these things and you're a young guy, before you know it, you just might end up being the strongest and fastest person in selection. You might be the smartest and you might be the person everybody wants on their team because you're so used to doing good things for people. And, um, and I did that with my little grandson who was nine years old. And we had, I had him doing a weight workout with me every morning. And I had him running mountains with me in the afternoons. I timed him how fast he was going per mile. And um, I did his computer work with him, his homework. So he got smarter. And he'd say, but Papa, I didn't, get, I didn't do anything good for anybody today. I said, yeah, you helped me get smarter because you're helping me with this new math. I had no idea what you're talking about. And you showed me this, uh, this training thing on your computer. And I learned from it. And so, uh, so every, each and every day at nine years old, you can do that. At seven years, you can do it. And you can do it at 50 years old. And if you do, six months from now, you're going to be stronger, faster, smarter, and 
you've done a lot of good for a lot of people. And that, that's what I believe, those four, four things to do every day. Just do them every day, all four. Don, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. This has been a great conversation. And, you know, I told you we were going to record about 30 minutes and we're coming up on an hour. <laughs> <laughs> it's been I, a pleasure talking with you, David. Yes, sir. Likewise. Um, for those for those listening that want to connect with you, they want to check out your show, what's the best place for people to find you or connect with you? Well, I, I have this website and everything's on the website and it's um, US Frogman with two ends, like my last name. So usfrogman.com. And Frogman's what they call seals and divers. So it's usfrogman.com. And um, yeah, I'd be happy to talk. I talk to people all week long and people connect with me and I enjoy it. I enjoy talking to people and helping the family members and helping them go with their goal setting and um, just talking whatever they want to talk about. I, I enjoy doing that. All right. Well, for everybody listening, usfrogman.com. And I'll have the link in the show notes. Uh, you got to check out Surviving Man and Surviving Man All-Star. Uh, what a, and it's such an awesome show. I, I've, I've watched season one, season two. I, I think that's, I think that's the one that you emailed me or is that the All-Stars? Yeah. Yep. The season two is the last one I, that we just, um, it's just being broadcast now. So that's when I emailed you. Yeah, that's really good. I'd say it's a it's a little bit better than the first one. I think you got the. Uh, I think so too. I think so too. <laughs> yeah, you, you got it real dialed in, um, and and yeah. it, it was just really interesting seeing uh, seeing those competitors and yeah, what a cool show. So everybody out there listening, you got to check out the show and check out Don's website. Um, Thank you so much, Don. Thank you, David. It's nice to see you. Yes, sir. Likewise. Thank you for listening to this episode of From Embers to Excellence. Please visit hollenbachleadership.com for additional content. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a review.